This is Repmo Radio. Hello and welcome to another episode of Repmo Radio, where we hear from people of interest and influence who live and work in this city that we love. If you or someone you know has an interesting job, hobby, or a story to tell, reach out to me on Facebook or send an email to jake at repmoradio.com. On this episode, we interview State Representative Bishop Davidson. I've been interested for a while to ask Bishop about the campaign and what it's actually like to serve as a representative in Jefferson City. So now let's break into my conversation with State Representative Bishop Davidson. Were you born uh, close to here? Are you are you an Ozark native? Uh, you know, technically by birth. Technically, I was born in Virginia Beach, Virginia, which I thought was so cool and so exotic as a kid. But by the time I was in high school, I was like, F- Mom, Dad, why didn't you just have me in Missouri where the rest of my family was born? Because you can take the Davidson line back pretty far, but even more so now as a politician, I wish that I was born in that Missouri. you were born in the state Because I don't, I don't in, get yeah. to make the, the classic, you know, born and raised. But that being said, we moved back to Missouri from Virginia when I was one and a half. They went out there. My dad was uh, exploring law school. My mom had a, a job uh, out of college. And so that's what brought us there. Uh, it's almost as if they went there just to give birth to me, and we turned back around pretty <laughs> that's quickly. That's funny. It's like John McCain saying he was born in Panama. Well, yeah. It's like, yeah, technically, but does yeah, that really yeah, mean anything? Yeah, technically. Uh, Missouri's certainly my home and grew up in Springfield, moved out to Republic in middle school and in seventh grade. So. So you went to Republic Middle School and Republic High? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Uh, so tell me about your family. I, I've One thing that I learned about you very quickly uh, is that you guys seem to have a pretty tight-knit family, like you and your siblings and your parents. And So tell me about that whole thing and that dynamic. Yeah, no, we definitely do. Um, I'm one of nine kids. Nine? Yeah, which is a joy. You are... One of nine kids. Yeah. Okay. So where where do you fall in the in the order yeah. there? Yeah. So my dad had had two kids from a previous marriage. That's my sister and brother. They're the eldest, and then I'm the eldest of my mom and dad. Seven. Now five of those were boys that they had, and then they adopted two girls uh, because they wow. were <laughs> none of us turned out being daughters, and they they figured there were alternative methods. I guess so. Okay, and you guys are all still uh, mostly pretty close these days. Does everyone still live mostly around the area? Yeah, there was a time that I lived on the East Coast. Uh, my brother was we'll get to that training in the Marines on the West Coast, and my other brother was a missionary in Ukraine. So we were spread out for some time. That's and then, Stone, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stone yeah, yeah. was in Ukraine, and now um, we all live right here in the Springfield area. So we got a brother in Aurora. Me and my brother in Republic, folks are north of town. Four, four of the kids are still in high school and living at home, and then my other brother is live, lives in Springfield. Okay. And so then my sister lives in Kansas City, so that's the furthest it gets. It's is just to Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So still in the show-me state. Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you go. Were, were you like a good kid in high school? Were you, were you a miscreant, or were you pretty much like go to class, straight A's, that kind of thing? Uh, Yeah. I, I was that. I mean, the the worst I did was like minor trespassing, which I think is a part of any sort of small, small town, you know, adolescent experience. Finding something to do to yeah, be yeah, adventurous. Yeah, you know, I, I, did I cross through some farmlands? Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I was by and large a, a good kid, I, I would say. Um, and I did all of the all of the little things. I, I had a fun high school experience. I think I think you could make a movie from my high school experience pretty easily. So, so after high school, what happens next with you? Um, I go off to Mizzou. Um, didn't think I would go there, but ended up being at Mizzou. Really enjoyed it. Was studying history and journalism at first. That quickly changed to also include. Um, what was going to be a minor in Greek but evolved into a classics degree. And then I dropped journalism because 
I was really doing it more as a fallback, and journalism is an absolutely terrible fallback. Fallbacks are supposed to be like financially stable, uh, easy to access jobs, <laughs> and journalism is neither of those things. Um, and I had gone to school with the intent of getting a PhD and teaching at a university, and that's still the goal. The end goal, 65, tenured professor, no cell phone, no social media. And I feel like I'm still on my way. This is just a little detour that I've decided to take in the meantime. Wow, what a dream. So. It's, what, a, what a goal. <laughs> I mean, and I, and I mean that. That sounds, uh, that sounds neat. So uh, you had mentioned uh, education and wanting to be a professor. Mm-hmm. So after college, that you, your, your career... So to speak, you have a business in education. Is that right? School me on yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. So that that came a little bit later. Initially, out of college, um, let's see here, I was about a year from graduation. I got offered a job at an organization called Intercollegiate Studies Institute, and I was very dismissive initially. I was like, Ah, no. What what, is, what even is that? Yeah. So ISI is the acronym, and you know, even when you even when you say the words Intercollegiate Studies Institute, it doesn't clarify anything. Yeah, my, uh, my eyes just glazed yeah, over yeah, as yeah, you yeah. said it. it and that's it, I had to wake it, myself it, back up to it ask really, what it was. It really is a hard branding uh, strategy. But <laughs> William F. Buckley Jr., Bill Buckley, most folks know who he is. Uh, he started it back in 1953. And the whole idea was to bring old books and old ideas to college campuses. And so it is an organization dedicated to conservative intellectual tradition. And I say it in that way because we didn't do a lot of policy talk. Now, you would find that discussed at our conferences, amongst our student groups, you know, in our literature and so on. But what we really were concerned with was the philosophy that underlies the policy. Uh, and so when we say conservative intellectual tradition, that's more of what we're talking about. And, uh, and and I think that's what makes us and makes ISI distinct from Turning Point USA, distinct from uh, Young Americans uh, for Liberty, uh, distinct from YAF and YAO and all your other student organizations, which are fine. They're just concerned with activism. We're in more about academics. Okay. So, um, so you, when you graduated, what was your actual, what is your degree in? Uh, yeah, I, I double majored in history and classics. So classics okay. is, I learned Greek and Latin and then all of the cultures and histories associated with those languages. Um, uh, but mainly Greek, I would say I, I that's okay. my first love. So was that, um, being a part of that organization, uh, kind of in the latter part of your college years, is that what got you turned on to politics or were you kind of already turned on to that uh it's hard to say because on the one hand i really was interested in politics and that's because i love political philosophy and history but on the other hand i i've held retail politics at arm's length my entire life all the way up until i announced what do you mean by retail politics um you know you're more you're more um widely under mainstream politics maybe is a better way of putting it retail politics kind of door-to-door campaigning those sorts of things i had never knocked on a door for a campaign i had and this is i'm, I'm i regret this now looking back because i i now see how important it was um and i think i think maybe i got caught up in the ivory tower of it all but um yeah i hadn't i hadn't given money to a campaign um i had never really known an elected official um, I hadn't, you know, I, I very distinctly avoided working for any legislatures or any legislators or any sort of policy person. Uh, even in the time that I worked at the Heritage Foundation, I worked in the one center, the Center for Principles and Politics, where policy was not what they did. They did history. And so um, ISI was certainly a place where a lot of my conservative views, I would say, were validated. Because uh, I always say truth is truth is truth. And where I really get a lot of my political philosophy is from rich discourse around my mom and dad's kitchen counter growing up. Mm. Um, And I I really mean it. I mean, some serious fights and arguments and backs and forth um, and discussions over every little thing. It wasn't always political, but it did turn political at times. And and when you start asking those min- that many questions about what you believe, you, you start to come up with answers on the why of what you believe. And that's what I'm really interested in. Anytime someone says they believe, you know, press them. Well, why? Well, why? Well, why? And you start to peel back a few layers and see, do they really have a, a firm grasp of where they stand? 
or is this something being regurgitated or reflected or mirrored off of another another you know talking head as it were and i don't i don't want to put that in a negative way um we outsource all the time there's times that i don't have the time to sit and think about every little thing all the time and so i choose someone that i trust to help me think about it and think about it a little bit on my behalf so i, I don't want to put that down but when I was running, I thought that was really, really important. And I think that is still very important that if you're going to be a, a lawmaker, you know, people all the time, you know, that they'll, they'll, well, I don't really know much about the issues and they sort of feel bad about the situation. I say, listen, you have hired me to know about the issues. And it's not that they can't, it's that they're busy living their lives and doing honestly more important work, whether it's, whether it's their actual work or whether it's what they do with the profits of that work as they develop and grow their family, as they invest and grow their communities, that is way better than what we're doing in Jefferson City. And as it stands, they are literally, right, at least the folks here in Western Greene County are literally paying me money so that they don't have to take the time to think about those things. And they're saying, Bishop, you take the time to think about those things and then inform us. And they'll hold me accountable. Don't get me wrong. Every two years I'm held to account. But my point is, not everyone is expected to have thought about everything to the same extent. We get to use one another. We get to come together and, and, and trust people and say, well, what do you think on this issue? Because you're the person who we've sort of delegated this task to. That was a really roundabout way, and I'm trying to figure out what, what question I was originally answering. No, no, no. I, the, the, the original <laughs> question was in the latter half of your college years, it seemed like that's when you started really sinking your teeth into some uh, of, of the oh, deeper yeah. aspects of political philosophy. And yeah. so I was asking if, th if it was kind of that moment that was the genesis of your interest yeah. or even just a forethought of like, you, you know, someday, someday <laughs> I might have something to do with you politics. Know, yeah. I mean, I, and I had, I mean, I, I was a class president and student body president in high school. You know, I was always captains of my teams and president of whatever organizations I was in. So that was always uh, sort of on the radar, but never, never at this time in my life. Uh, there was a real sense of urgency uh, that I had to strike now, and I can talk about that later. But I wasn't thinking in that direction. There's got to be a hundred factors that brought me to that conclusion, that brought me to that place, right? My dad's a history teacher. That's huge. That's a huge impact. My mom is just so, she's a superwoman. She's absolutely amazing. Um, and and I think I, I've, I've learned a lot from her sort of executive style and ability to just get things done. And to With a see, family that big, and I to mean, see yeah. visions through. Oh yeah, a family that big, and she and she runs her own business and started that business. I mean, she's really, really just an amazing woman. Um, and honestly, like it, little things, right? Steve Irwin passing away, September sixth, I think, two thousand six. I remember where I was. I loved animals. I wanted to be a zoologist. I was like committed to this vision, and I remember a little piece of me died alongside him. Interesting. And and it wasn't. Too short thereafter. I mean, I was I was a shoot. I was just getting into middle school, so maybe that combined with um, <laughs> I don't know, combined with puberty and adolescence and growing up, I, I sort of shifted from animals to being interested in people. And it's like Steve Irwin's dead. This isn't fun anymore. <laughs> well, I, I I mean, I he he really I think he brought that vision alive for so many. And it's not that I don't love animals. I don't love nature. Like I said, I think it's a combination of many factors, but I'm just trying to show that there's a, there's a really complicated Milo that creates a personality that's willing to go run for office at a young age, uh, which there've been times certainly in the last year that I've gone, eh, did I, did I make the right decision? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can't credit my family enough and those conversations, like I said, around the, the kitchen counter, and then also being raised on a very rich biblical tradition. Um, and it wasn't a staunchy biblical tradition, I will say that. It, it really was, just like those debates around the kitchen counter, it was very open, very open discourse. Um, it's okay to challenge, it's okay to doubt. And we're going to push back on you. My folks did, right? Because they know where they stand and why they believe what they believe. But it was that sort of uh, environment that got me interested in history and political philosophy. And then that distills down into policy very naturally. 
And then politics is a whole separate thing, which is how does that policy come into action? And that's a different game altogether. Um, a game which I, I think I'm all right at playing because it involves a lot of networking and personality assessment and interpersonal skills and so on. But by the time I had moved back to Missouri, this was not on my radar even a little. Um, I mean, I, I have kind of longer hair now, I guess. Uh, so what did happen after? So college is done. Yeah, so, so what so does college happen is after done. college? Um, like I said, ISI offers me a job. I'm like, no, I'm going to go be a PhD student. And my folks are like, whoa, bud, uh, history classics majors don't get jobs. Maybe we should think about this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, so, yeah, some good advice from mom and dad. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, it really was, I think, providential in a lot of ways. And, and so I head out and that's headquartered in northern Delaware, just south of Philadelphia. And so I live there, kind of bounce around because the work is so transient for the next few years between D.C. and that Philadelphia area. And, uh, yeah, I really loved the work. Um, but ended up coming back to Missouri because I always wanted to be back in Missouri. So you were just were you just out there on your own, you know, young single guy doing your thing out there in the yeah. east, on the East Coast? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, I had a girlfriend at, at, at part of that time. Yeah, but but yeah, but, yeah. but essentially, yeah, single, yeah, yeah, yeah single, sure. single in the in the common vernacular, which is sure. married or not married. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, and it was exciting. I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot. Like I said, a lot of the ideas from the kitchen counter, I think, were validated because one thing that we didn't do a lot of it wasn't a lot of like digging deep in books, right? Except the Bible. And there were other books. I don't want to say we were anti-intellectual or anything like that. But what ISI did was that, like, there is this whole, I mean, just massive conversation that's gone on for the last millennia. And you, you get to start to scratch the surface here. And I remember reading so much and going, oh, my gosh, like, this guy said exactly what I've said in conversation. Or that essay says exactly what I said in this essay when I wrote it back in college or high school. And so it was a very validating uh, more than anything else, um, which was which is why I was saying truth is truth is truth. Whether it's truth in the scripture, whether it's truth by reason, whether it's truth by uh, revelation of some political philosopher, truth is truth is truth, no matter how you get to that point. And, okay. and so, yeah, I was at ISI, and I can talk about that more. I mean, it was a it was a great experience. But so, where does the Heritage Foundation come in? Yeah, so I was at Heritage during college. Okay, um, so that was before that. Mm -hmm. That okay. was before that, and so I had some relationships established in D.C. there, um, and I still I still make my make time to travel out to D.C. at least once a year, if not twice a year, just to catch up with friends, and then Philadelphia, and then I go up to New York usually, um, and I go to Mizzou every quarter or every quarter every semester usually to catch up with old professor friends and so on too. And so I, I'm really big into trying to maintain all these relationships sure. as best I can. And so um, I think I got a lot out of my time at Heritage because I've still been able, even all these years later, to keep up a keep up a rapport with all the folks there. Um, yeah, and so I... So you come back to Missouri. I come back to Missouri. I look... Uh, I know every politician says that they weren't intending on running, of course, right? It was... I was just an overwhelming calling from X, and that's usually the story. Yeah, because you're a so you're a young guy still. Yeah, 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 yeah. you're a young guy, and so um, I mean, how much time from college to to now? Like, where are we at? Like, so I graduated my class. I'm class of 2017. I graduated okay. a semester early. Okay. In December of 2016. Okay. Um, I had turned 24 in April, and then I move back in June and June 2019 I'm looking at two big options and I'm just being honest I I, I so before before we get there yeah. before we get there what what's the uh you had some kind of education that comes late that, so that comes later okay that comes later yeah okay, okay. Cr chronologically yeah all right we're, all right. we're not uh, quite there okay so, sorry about that yeah no no I, I I love the enthusiasm and so I had come back and there was a lot in life going on at the time, but I also had two sisters that were recently adopted, and I never got to live in the same state as them. And so I only saw them on holidays, which was very strange, right? Like, you are my sister, um, but I don't know you. And so I came back mm, with yeah. the intent of really getting to know my sisters, and 
also with very open hands. My whole life had been very planned up until that point. Well, I'm going to do this for this number of years. I'm going to get married at this time. I'm going to have this many kids. Boom, 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 boom. And so I was trying to live life a little more in the moment and wanted to really see what sort of opportunities could present themselves, might present themselves. And so I, I was brainstorming. I had no debt, um, fortunately. Um, I had grants and scholarships in college. Um I had a good chunk of money saved. I fell in love with personal finance as soon as I got my first check. I had no girlfriend. I had no uh, lease, no familial ties keeping me in any one spot. And so I'm thinking, okay, sky's the limit. What what should we do? Um, what should I do? And I had just done a musical. I was Bert and Mary Poppins. That's a whole story in and of itself. For another time. Yeah. But, I'm, but listen, Bishop. I'm putting a pin on that one. Okay. We're not going to tell that story now, but that story is going to be told. <laughs> okay, yeah, no worries, no worries. I'd love to. And so uh, I'm looking at either moving out to Hollywood or I'm going to go down to South America. Both things have been, you know, big dreams of mine at different points in time. And part of that's like, hey, listen, let's do the gap year thing. Let's do the traveling thing. Let's go down to South America. And then the other part of me is like a failed year in Hollywood sounds like a great story. So, <laughs> okay, so let's pause there for a second. So what, what would have been the objective in South America? The objective in South America was to immerse myself in the Spanish language and to okay. learn Spanish. Okay. Um, and then I would have tried some freelance writing on the side if I could have started to break even, you know, if I could have maintained all that, then, um, you know, kind of play it by ear. Yeah, these are very different goals. Like, let's go to South America and learn Spanish or become an actor. Well, yeah, you know, and, and, and like I said, I... Sky I, was the limit, I, so I think I had... Like, flip a coin. Sensible expectations, you know. I thought I would go out to Hollywood and I would not do anything, right? But it would be, a, a like I said, a great experience, a great story. I'd live on the West Coast. I had lived on the East Coast. I would return to Missouri, as has always been the plan. But, uh, yeah, and then and then if that didn't happen, maybe I actually made it. Oh, and that'd be interesting, right? That would be fascinating to me. Um, I have actually many passions. Politics is very middle of the road. I like it, you know. I certainly like it enough to do it as a career, uh, as a job. But, you know, movies, pop culture, church history, you know, I, I really love intellectual, you know, academic conversations around gender and the family. Those are much more interesting to me uh, personally. So those are the, the two big things. I'm like, yeah, uh, and I'm arguing with my mom. Am I going to stay around here for three months, six months? What's the case going to be? And I decide, you know, to just consider it, pray on it, think on it, talk with loved ones. And a third option rolls around of running for state representative, July 2019. And so there's literally like a couple days where I'm considering all three of these options. I pretty quickly narrow it down to Hollywood or state rep. And like I said, I look like a hippie. Oh, I don't know if I said that. I did. I look like a hippie. Every politician says they didn't intend to run. I have picture proof. Because a month before I, I announced, nothing like I, I was not, ready for prime time. Yeah, no, no, uh, <laughs> and uh, and I knew it too. Um, I, you know, I I think I'm romantic at times and can be idealistic, but I'm also very shrewd and pragmatic, um, which is I, I think ultimately why we were able to be successful. Um, but but I'm weighing all of these options, and uh, and. I realize I've got like a self percent. I chop off all my hair and I'm like, okay, you know what? I could, I could play this part. And I meet with the other candidates. I start researching them. I start meeting with politicos whom I'd never met before. And um, at the end of the day, it came back to that question. Are we sending Republicans who know why they're Republican, who know the why of conservatism? And I didn't feel like we were. And so that's why I jumped in as a as a as a true believer of conservative philosophy and as a absolute, you know, absolutely in love with my home. Uh, you know, it, I've had friends who've now gone out to D.C. or Boston or whatever. You know, I, I have a buddy of mine. He's from Missouri and he called me a few weeks ago and he said, I've been in D.C. for the summertime. And he goes, I'm not joking. Every person I met knew you 
And he said, I would say, yeah, my name's Ethan. I'm from Missouri. And they would go, I know one guy from Missouri. You know Bishop Davidson? And <laughs> and he's like, yes, oh, my I gosh, I absolutely, yeah, I do. And so there's a, there's a lot of layers to that. But the thing that I draw out is that these folks knew me as being a Missourian, uh, which I, I really, really love because I love Missouri and I love my home. In fact, I was asked, Bishop, why don't you move out of the district? And it actually made sense for me to move out of the district of all the candidates. I understood why I was the one who was asked because there, it was a crowded field initially. We had four people, five, six, maybe six people jumping into the race. And I just said, yeah, I have no interest in representing anyone but my family and my community. Like, I know some of you guys want to be a state representative. I don't. Yeah, because a couple of them did jump out and, and move to different districts. So, yeah, 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 and and it and it made sense. I think it made sense in that context. Uh, it really, really came out for the best. But I remember being asked, and I just said flat out, like, absolutely not. Like, <laughs> I'll go do something else. Like, I'm not, I'm not interested in being a state represented, state representative. I'm interested in representing my community, and uh, unfortunately, my community is easy to represent because my community shares a lot of the values that i hold so dear and so it's a great it's a great intersection of two passions and two loves for me one is a love for my community and then the other is a love for conservative political philosophy and here they intersect in district 130 western green county as i get to kind of play out both of those realities in jefferson city and uh, and the rest is history. No, I'm joking. We can talk about it. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, I I have I have a couple questions about the campaign. One specifically, I had a, a chance to uh, sit across the table with uh, Dave Gragg, mm -hmm. who was the Democrat uh, who ran against you in the in the general election. And one of the things that I thought was so cool about the campaign is that you and he actually had a debate and you don't see that hardly ever in state rep races especially in state rep races uh like ours that are so deep red that you know it's almost a foregone conclusion minus yeah. just some kind of horrific scandal where you you know praise hitler or something like it's it's almost a foregone conclusion that the republican is going to win the the general yeah and so you know that's a question that I've kind of been wanting to ask you is uh, you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to agree to the to the debate. You probably would have won anyway. Most other Republican candidates just pretty much ignore their uh, opponent. And you chose to debate uh, him on an issue that, um, yes, it matters, but it's not like one of those real like sexy issues, right? It's redistricting. Uh, so... What made you decide to go ahead and take take up Dave Gregg's offer to, you know, have a public forum at all? But mm -hmm. and then why on that issue? Yeah, uh, I mean, he brought it up, and it was a fair it was a fair fair thing to say. You know, kind of challenged us. Um. So the issue is in a lot of ways determined by him. I would say. But the issue was so important. I told folks at the door all the time, if I could give this seat to the Democrat but win on that vote, if that was the trade, if it was one or the other, I would. I would have Amendment 3 pass before I win uh, because it was that important, uh, is that important in my view. And so, uh, yeah, I was happy. I was happy to debate him on the subject because I also think it makes more sense. I think he was very clearly in the wrong position and I thought I could explain that. I thought I could articulate that. I thought I could hear whatever complaints or attacks he would have to lob towards me. I thought I could rebut them. Um, I was very confident. Uh, and so throw in some confidence plus a very, very, very important issue. And it became a no-brainer for me. Um, and I didn't think anyone else was going to kind of take him up on it. And we had lost in this county and in this district the vote for clean Missouri in 2018. Right. And so it was upon us to convince our district uh, for cleaner Missouri. And so uh, I, I really saw that as almost a, a 
proto of the job. I mean, if, if the job I want is a job that says, hey, I'm going to do the hard thinking and digging into policy and politics and figure out what the right answer is on the most complicated issues, what better way to show my constituents that I'm prepared for that job than to take on a Democrat, uh, to take on a debate and a discussion over such a dense topic, uh, especially a topic which the district ostensibly would have been against mm. me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was that was kind of the thinking on that. Um, I haven't shied away from any sort of debate or discourse. I think it's one of the important markers of a good legislator, honestly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I've heard lots of different things said at different times, but... No, it was just unusual. You know, I had this thing, it probably didn't happen this way, but I just I just had this vision in my head that, you know, Dave Gregg kind of puts puts that out there and and Bishop's like, "You know what? I'll take him on." And and all these advisors are like, "No, no, no. Don't do it, Bishop. You don't need to do this. Don't do it." Well, and- you yeah, you you're right. <laughs> so so here's the thing: we didn't have advisors. Uh, we got, no, I know. We but got, like, we, that's the no, that's they, kind of the, dr- the they, dramatization they, in they, my no, head. No, you're right. They would have no. I mean, I and I knew that. I had been in the in the running long enough to know. Hey, politically, this is unadvisable. But I was going against pretty much all of your politically advisable pieces, except for cutting my hair and shaving my face. Right? Like most of what I did was very counter to the traditional advice. Um, but that's because I actually have a very different opinion than traditional advice. I think I think it's by and large wrong. Now, I think it takes a very special candidate to run the sort of campaign we did, and I think I had been equipped and prepared for most of my life to do that. Um, but we were boxed out of the race. I mean, we didn't have any consultants because they literally all made deals with one another to only support one person and not, not the rest. So... Uh, we were boxed out for early, early on. Sure. And that was exciting, you know, and scary all at the same time. We knew um, if we win, it's a tremendous learning opportunity. If we lose, it's a tremendous learning opportunity. But if, if we could pull this off, think of all of the additional learning we've done. Yeah. And so uh, you're right, though. Yeah, it was definitely against against traditional political advice just because you're giving uh, you're giving a stage – um, to the opponent. That being said, you know, you could spin it another way and say it's good political advice because you're differentiating yourself amongst a primary field. Yeah. And so, um, but it, it wasn't all of those calculations exactly. I mean, my goal was to be a transparent, um, smart, put together conservative. And that's what I still am trying to be. So and so that made s- sense for me to take on the challenge. So campaigning, what what does that actually entail? I mean, are you you know got a, a map of addresses and you just start you know bothering people on a Saturday or like you know when when it's, you're like all right I'm going to run for office it's time to run a campaign air quotes like what what does that actually mean? Yeah yeah. Um, I mean, for me, I, I started just by gathering as much information as I possibly could. Any consultant who would meet with me but not sign on with me, I would meet with them and just ask questions. I probably did a dozen, 20, 20 or so interviews with politicians, with consultants, with politicos, literally just grilling them and just taking notes. And, you know, it's free advice, so take what you will. But a lot of it's pretty good advice, and then you run that against your own conscience and kind of how you feel comfortable uh, with running your campaign, and, and you start to piece together a sort of vision and what it what it's going to look like. Um, for me, it began with team building, and I think that was one of our greatest strengths. Uh, by the by, a year into our campaign, by that August primary, we had 160 volunteers, which is just a massive army of people. Um, and we were able to mobilize them and use them effectively. Um, some of our training sessions, I think, are, are some of the best training sessions out there. And I've got a very specific system that I follow and have created for that. Um, but, yeah, you said it, door knocking at the end of the day. And so you can get your list from all over the place. The party pl- supplies a sure, list. Yeah. Um, the I, county clerk. I have a Yeah, the county clerk. And you can use all that data, and, and then I compile it. I have a vendor that I use uh, in terms of what's called a walk app. It's a little app on your phone, and it's more specific, you know, in terms of which houses are these houses or those houses or that house. And we collectively probably knocked on thirty thousand doors. I know. No I knocked kidding. On, I knocked on around six thousand. Holy think. smokes! No kidding. So, uh, that's a lot. That's time consuming. 
Yeah, well. Is that, is that like the most time-consuming part of the campaign? Yeah, probably. Think? Yeah. I mean, for me, that was my life. At the, I mean, I went to bed thinking about the campaign. Yeah, and sure. And I woke up thinking about the campaign. So, um, you know, I, I, going in, I, I, I put profiles of all the candidates' strengths and weaknesses. And I, I, I feel like that's maybe one of my strengths is actually assessment and self-assessment. Yeah, sure. Self-awareness. And so you look at those weaknesses and you got to ask yourself, is this a true weakness? You know, if it's a true weakness and there's nothing redeemable about it, you got to get rid of it. Uh, otherwise, you got to figure out how to spin it, right? Or if it's something that you can't get rid of. For instance, me not being married, that's a weakness. Okay, well, how do we turn that into strength? Easy. You make a joke about it first. You address the subject. Don't let it be addressed towards you. But... um more than that, what does not having a wife and kids do for me? It gives me enormous amounts of time. You're like the Apostle Paul. You can just give <laughs> all the time you need to your ministry. Uh, yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> I think I think, uh, I think think some <laughs> folks might consider that blasphemous. But yeah, yeah, exactly. No. Um, just, <laughs> just like Jesus, right? Yeah. No, <laughs> God is, Whoa! Whoa, Bishop! Hold on. I didn't oh, go that no. far. No, I... Uh, and, and so, you know, any time that I wanted to rest, I had to remind myself, this is my advantage in this field, um, <laughs> is that I don't have to rest yeah. and I don't have to pause. And so, I mean, every night I was attending some event. Every every weekend I was doing something. I mean, every hour it was on my mind. And I was working enough to scrape by, but I was dedicating everything else. Yeah. Which brings us to this question, this this really pressing perennial question about my work now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And about... Because you've mentioned it before, and I'm always like, what's that about? The yeah. education thing. I'm curious. Yeah. It's called Pelion Learning. And so uh, I had started that right around the time that I had started campaigning. And a part of that is because uh, campaign schedule's uh, erratic, and, and then the legislative schedule is erratic. Um None of those folks in legislature, I mean, some of them do, I suppose, but they don't really hold down traditional jobs. They're almost always retired or self-employed or independently wealthy. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how could you with the schedule of having to go back and forth to Jeff City and months. Five you know, months of the year. Right. Yeah. I, I, how could you have a job that way? And yeah. so, and I knew that and I wanted to prepare for that. Unless you're, or you're independently wealthy. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wanted to prepare for that and I, I love teaching. And so I started doing private teaching and curriculum development. Uh, with towards your other goal of uh, becoming a professor, yeah, eventually. yeah, yeah, yeah. Toward, and and ultimately, yeah, towards my goal, I it kind of combines two of my passions: entrepreneurialism and uh, and and education. And you know, if anyone knows me, they for too terribly long, they know I'm, I'm coming out with about a thousand ideas every month, uh, and I'd say like two percent of them stick. But but my my wheels are always turning, and so Pelion um, became one of those things that stuck. And I remember it was very quickly it stuck because I was sitting there, I had the idea, I thought about it. I called my mom uh, and said, hey, what do you think of this? And we talked about it for maybe an hour. Really kind of developed on the phone there. Yeah, this is a sensible business plan, business model. This is very doable, low overhead. There's no reason in my mind, I thought, not to start tomorrow. And so I literally bought the domain name and I drove up to Jeff City and I did a, uh, I got it filed for an LLC and started work immediately and I've really loved it and I'm developing it now. Of course, I'm balancing that with a rigorous legislative schedule, um, which is a, a real challenge, of course. Um, but like, for instance, what I'm looking at doing with Pelion, Pelion Learning I can explain the what's title. The, what's the website? What's the website? Pelionlearning.com. Okay. Yeah. Just as so people want to go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pelionlearning.com. And actually, I, I just took it down because I'm going to put it back up with a new uh, offering that we're going to make this June, which is uh, it's called Civ Academy. I haven't pinned down the dates yet, so it's not it's not exactly finalized, but it'll probably be at Calvary here in Republic. It may be at First Calvary and Prez uh, in Springfield. We're looking at a few different venues. But the whole idea is we're going to create a legislature for 13 to 18-year-olds. We're going to have 163 representatives, and they will be regarded as such, and 34 senators, and they will be regarded as such. And we're going to ask that they dress professionally, 
and we're going to run them through the gauntlet. They're going to learn everything from caucusing and leadership elections and intra-caucus you know, dynamics to inter-caucus dynamics and party politics and committees and the legislative process and, and making deals with the other chamber and, and learning how to work alongside them. And then we'd like to introduce lobbyists and experts on certain topics. You know, we want to go the whole, the whole length of simulating our legislature, even to the point of blasting these kids with a bunch of texts that are quote unquote constituents complaining about a certain topic. <laughs> uh, and so that is cool. Yeah. So we're looking at, and, and I, I'm, I'm kind of uh, I'm assembling a team of college students who are going to help facilitate this. Hey, I'll just put this out there. If you need somebody to text to to bother some teenagers <laughs> via text uh, with some make believe legislative uh, wish list complaints, let me know. Yeah, yeah. and I I will do that. Yeah. I will help you out, and I will come up with some things that. Uh, oh, that's uh, that I need my yeah, my yeah. mock legislator. Oh yeah, that that would do. be great. That would be great. And I honestly, I, I've got the whole curriculum written out, the schedule. It'd be a four-day day camp. That sounds really cool, Bishop. That I, sounds I really think, neat. I think it's going to be because successful. people don't know about state government. I mean, no. they just don't. I mean, I've, I've got some theories on how exactly Civ Academy would develop because I think I think they would experience all of the same relationships. Yeah, and it would be really fascinating to watch. You know, I could see we what we would do is we would have conversing majorities. Uh, and so you'd have one party with a majority in the House, but then the other party would have a majority in the Senate. And so I could see them. That's not very realistic. I could see them, <laughs> not for Missouri, <laughs> but I could see them ramrodding their legislati- legislation through their chamber and then going, uh-oh, <laughs> we've got we've to moderate. Yeah, oops. Uh, we've got to do some things differently because you can't just do that in both chambers. And we're going to give minor mi- minor majorities anyways, like really small Majority just to make it interesting, yeah, to keep oh, sure. it really close. Oh, sure, but because it, it, the the parties aren't going to be too terribly policy based. Uh, we're not going to prescribe policies that they have to abide by. Uh, what we're trying to get is all the students right to learn more about the process. Yeah, it's it's and, civics, not party indoctrination. Yes, right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so. Um, yeah, so Pelion Learning is a, it's a way for me to exercise kind of all my wildest dreams in terms of education, you know, the educational space, whether it's educational programming or me doing private teaching or uh, doing unit study courses or whatever the case may be. And I, I really, really do love it. That is cool. I, well, um, I'm looking forward to seeing how that evolves. That yeah. is such a great idea. Yeah. So uh, I'll be... I'll be watching that with interest. Yeah. I have a, a few more questions for you before we start to conclude our time together. All right. So I'm curious. All right. So election results come in. Mm-hmm. Well, I just won myself an election. That's pretty neat. Uh, so what happens then? Your phone rings and, hi, I'm uh, so-and-so with the uh, Republican people and you need to come to Jeff City on and report to room 503A and then we're going to show you where your office... Like, like what happens literally like the next day? Yeah. Yeah. How so, does all that work? Because you, so you don't just drive up to Jeff City and you're like, yeah. hey, did you guys know I got elected? Where am I supposed to go? So, yeah, no, there, there's... <laughs> There's two meetings and there's two elections, right? You've got your August primary and your November general, of course, out in Western Greene County. If you win the primary, there's a very strong chance you win the general. And so as far as the politicos, right, the establishment, the lobby corps is concerned, I am the next state representative at that point in time. And so those conversations start for me in August. Um, And one of the first things you're going to see is you're going to see donations to your your campaign account. Um, sometimes it's people, you know, who had maybe given to an opponent and trying to mitigate and go, hey, you know, like here's a concession. Thank you so much for being our representative. Love to talk with you sometime, right? Um, uh, other times it was folks just holding out because they they didn't want to bet on a losing horse. I get that too, but that's one of the things that early happens. You know, you get your text your your text messages just blow up. You know, you get hundreds of people texting you, congratulating you, and so on. Um, for me, it was all very emotional. We didn't know if we were going to win. I mean, <laughs> it was we we knew it was very likely we we could lose. I mean, that was always on the table for us. Um, so then you go though to summer caucus. At least we did as a Republican party, and there they start to 
you know, congratulate all the primary winners. Now the party's going to consolidate behind you, you know, and the primary Republicans tend to stay out. They, they don't want to bother that process. But then now we're going into the general. We're all a team and we're heading off against the Democrats come November. And so they explained a little bit of the process then and told us, hey, there's going to be a meeting the day after election. So keep that in mind when you're pulling up signs at 11 o'clock at night, um, <laughs> which you do. And so we had to have a, a plan ready to get our signs out because I had to leave the next morning at around 7 a.m. And, and we get there and we have a, a our winter caucus meeting. And there's a lot of different things that happen here. Amongst those are choosing out offices. And you literally just have a drawing. And the same drawing when you filed, which helps determine which place you have on the ballot, is the number that they use. Um, oh, you know what? No, we did a different drawing. We did a different drawing. And then, and then a lower number, I think, is what it was, gets to select their office first. And then they do seniors. And when I say seniors, we have four terms that we're limited to. And so what very naturally occurs is of those four terms, you have a freshman class, a sophomore, and a junior, and a senior class. And sure. And so the seniors do their drawings first, and then the juniors, and then the sophomores, and then the freshmen. And then you just go around the building picking out offices. And so that's how the office So what, you works. like run around, you're like, dibs on this one. Yeah, more or less. Really? I mean, it, yeah. Because, I mean, I've been to the Capitol, and those offices are nothing special. I mean, it's like, they're, they're, I was like, is this a broom closet, or yeah. is this a state rep no, office? No, some of them are better than others, obviously, but yeah, that's exactly what no happened. No kidding. It's a it's a number drawing. And you just get to, okay, you got and number so you, 15, go yeah, pick so, your office. So you get next, and you walk around with the accounts chair, is, is what it's called, and in this case, it's a guy named Jason Chipman. He's a uh, senior legislator, but... Yeah. Uh, so it, so it's not like uh so like what at at the end of every two years like before an election you got to clean all your stuff out because potentially uh, you like, can I think there's a there's there's like a and none of these are rules rules these yeah. are just rules imposed tradition by the chamber yeah yeah and so I think I think you can keep your office if you want that's like the thing like once you have an office you can keep it but you're most likely going to get an opportunity to upgrade. Interesting. And so most people are going to take the opportunity right. to upgrade and get a better office so because there definitely are better and worse. Is offices. there any like you know Passover? Like you go and and uh, I I know I've seen pictures of you with Jeff Messenger, who was the former uh, mm -hmm. state rep before yeah. you. Uh, I mean, is there a moment after you get elected where you know you guys like have a little handover or no? Is uh, that not a thing? No, not not particularly. Um, I'm not. You know, I wasn't sworn in until January 6th, um, and that's when I was actually sworn in. Uh, uh, before that, I was representative-elect. And so, um, no, there wasn't any big formal thing, though, as it were. There's normally an inaugural ball that didn't occur. That happened actually a couple weeks ago, bundled up with the bicentennial. But, um, no, it, it can be more of a handoff depending on who you hire as your legislator assistant, you know, some people hire the, you know, the former representatives legislator assistant and keep sort of a level of continuity with constituents. I actually hired a brand new legislator assistant. I interviewed about six people. So that was something I did in the, in the, that time and that space to set up my office. And I got to do that earlier because some folks were worried about their November elections. Yeah, sure. And, and I was concerned obviously enough to run a, run a hard race but it, I also was given some flexibility. Yeah, and sure. Leniency no, I get that. To to start pulling together the office, you know, and talking with S other. Legislators. How many staffers does a state rep get? You a just state get the representative one? gets one, and sometimes that one is shared by two, depending okay. depending on you know that they're able to do that. Um, but yeah, you typically have one legislator, uh, one legislator assistant, and then the Senate. I think they have a, a little more different of a of a system they have a pool of money for their office and they get to spend it however they want in the house it's very restricted we we don't hmm. we don't get to choose who gets paid what that's all pre-prescribed and um it's all very much already decided for you so uh you've been a state uh legislator officially for less than a year so far so we have one session. Mm -hmm. um, what what are some of just I guess you know real high level kind of brief? What were some of the the, the highlights uh, of your of your very first session? Mm -hmm. uh, your either legislative highlights or just yeah. like memorable experiences that that you had over the past year? Yeah. Um, so some legislative highlights. I, I got to 
sponsor alongside Representative Taylor. We both sponsored the bill, and the bill was joined in committee, um, which means it becomes one bill together, but it has both our names on it. Uh, the Second Amendment Preservation Act. Huge, huge victory. Very exciting. Governor signed it. I have the this copy of the governor's, you know. Yeah, I saw. Signed. I saw you were like right behind him on the picture. The yeah, center, signed yeah. bill. Yeah, it's been it's been really really fun and a, and a true privilege to be a part of because that happened early in the session and so within three weeks of being sworn in, uh, I'm sitting in the speaker's office with a select few as we run back and forth between the the house and the senate to negotiate the finer details of the bill, and and what can be accomplished or you're like uh, hi i'm new here Uh, yeah i I, well i i don't know if you like uh, hamilton the musical um but there's a song where they talk about i want to be i want to be in the room where it happens and so i'm sitting there going i want to be you know like i'm here i'm in the room and i'm like bishop snap out of it (laughs) you know focus on the conversation don't don't be singing musicals no i'm joking but uh yeah the governor's speaker of the house gonna look at you like uh What is going on he, with this he, guy? He's incredibly inclusive, though. You know, I was sitting there, and, and I kind of said, oh, I'm a fly on the wall. He said, no, you're not. He says, you're, you're a representative, and you're a sponsor of this bill. And that was important. That was a very good uh, moment for me, looking back uh, in my first three weeks. We'll count that as a highlight. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Another highlight, House Bill 439, Allows for local school districts to issue local school district teaching certificates for up to 15% of their fact. I'm not going to go into the details of it, but... It gives schools more local control over who they hire, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But um, no one cared about this bill. <laughs> and so this bill moved by my will alone. Uh, and this was a bill that I had come up with actually on the campaign trail and then vetted with superintendents and I talked with teachers and talked with different stakeholders as it were. This was an exciting moment because, like I said, this wasn't someone else's idea. It wasn't another state's idea that we're bringing into this state. It was a truly original piece of legislation, went through the uh, vetting process as it needed to go, and I was sitting there moving it every step of the way because you have all these choking points, a thousand ways for a bill to die, only one way for it to live. And my goal was never to really make it a law, not this last session, because I had realistic goals. If it happened, great. But... I accomplished my goal, which was a few things, to learn about the process, hands-on experience, right, to, to do it myself, to establish myself as a competent legislator. Um, and then I also wanted to be known as someone who was serious about education policy. And so... Is this something you're into? Yeah, yeah. it's something I absolutely love. And so uh, I, I, I ticked off all those boxes and I remember, you know, the the floor leader, who's now our speaker elect. He was like, he, he's like, seniors don't know how to move bills. Like you're, d- you're moving this bill. Um, and I'm a fast learner. I like to absorb information, and I'm a hard worker. And so I probably had 150 conversations before that bill finally came to the floor. And by the time it had come to the floor, all the hard conversations were had. And so the chief opponent, who would have been the opponent, um, a Democrat, gets up. He says, I can't. I can't get behind the bill. And we had already talked a lot, right? Uh, but the but the representative from Green, Green County, me, uh, has worked so hard and so diligently uh, to meet me halfway, and we just couldn't at some of these points. I have the utmost respect for him. I, I look forward to working with him in the future on education. Um, and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, how did he... How did he pull that one off? And we had six amendments on the floor, all coordinated, all were unifying and building a broader coalition that was saying, okay, you know what? I can get behind this bill because there are a lot of reservations. Ed, ed policy is hard to do. Ed policy is very hard to move. And we got it all the way through perfection, which is the second to last step out of passing it out of the house. And then the eve of its third read, which is a more of a rubber stamp at that point because perfection is the challenging part. Um, Desi uh, came to the floor leader's office um, and they wanted to have a conversation with me. And so we talk and they had some reservations and it was a good moment for me to not uh, be prideful, right? I could have shoved it through and said, okay, let's, let's have a conversation. And so I've been having those conversations in the interim. So I, I killed my own bill, quote unquote, but I had accomplished all the things I had set out to accomplish. And that's, that's been proven, um, 
That's been proven by um, remarks I've I've received from leadership. That's been proven um, by um, you know what I've learned throughout that process. And then even more recently, I've now had two representatives, one Republican and one Democrat, come and ask me, "Hey, will you carry this ed bill? Uh, this is an ed bill I've been working on." Uh, but I think you're better to carry it, I, or maybe I don't have time for it, or in the case of the Democrat, it, it makes sense for Democrats to team up with Republicans. If they have something they want to get across the line, they really need a Republican who who can believe in that bill. And I haven't, I haven't like, full-winded full agreed to all of that yet. I have to read the bills, but the very fact that they came to me, uh, a, you know, a halfway freshman who's only gone through one cycle. Right, right. That's a really good sign. Sure, uh, yeah. It's a vote of confidence in my ability to move legislation, which is really what I was going for anyways. So awesome, awesome experience. Yeah, and, and yeah. I learned some of the nuances. And I did have someone debate me, Debate me. it wasn't all, to, which is perfect. I needed someone to debate me because I also wanted to show the chamber, yeah. hey, I'm comfortable taking fire. Yeah, sure. Like I'm not, I'm okay with that environment. And I'm sitting there and I'm literally, you know, looking at the floor leader and I'm looking at my list and I've got this person, this person, this person's next. And then if someone challenges that amendment, I've got this expert who's going to get up and talk about this subject and that subject and this subject, right? And I'm texting my mom and dad at the same time time because these guys are at the heart of my campaign and are such a big part of why I'm there and they know that I've been working on this and this is really even more than SAPA in some ways like the fullest the fullest fruition of our work an original idea on education uh, coming to the floor for debate and perfection and I text him you know love you from the floor and my dad he's a fourth grade teacher has his uh his screen down and is playing the debate for all of his kids. Oh, on the that's class. cool! How cool is and, that? And he says, "How many of you have gotten a, a love you know a love note from the the floor of the Missouri House?" <laughs> Literally, as I'm debating, you know, because they can watch me and I'm sitting there texting my folks. That is cool. Uh, and going back and forth on debates and and we had some issues and this and that and, and it's all just it's a fascinating dynamic, but really proud moment for me and and a, and a true highlight. So that's cool. Yeah, because it. Would, It'd probably be you get up there and it, it. I imagine there could be elements of it that would be pretty intimidating and it might just be kind of easy to sit back and just kind of let things happen. And, My, I, you know, I'm just going to I'm just going to vote with the with the red wave. And just kind of, you know, this is my first session. I'll I'll get around to the hard stuff after a while and kind of get my feet wet. But it sounds like you just kind of walked up the steps and were like, all right, let's do this thing. Yeah, I, I mean, and I will say I'm not a firebrand. Oh, and I wasn't trying to. No, 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 no. no, no, no. no. I, 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 it's important distinction. There's some people who love to be controversial, and I don't have a problem with those people. That is not who I am. I don't love it. There's a lot of hard decisions I've had to make, hard votes I've taken, and they are hard votes. And you know what? I would rather not take them, if I'm being completely honest. But my commitment to my convictions and my constituents are far greater than my fear of that hard vote and the uncomfortability of those hard votes. And so I always am willing to make the hard vote, and I proved that on day one went against my whole caucus. And I proved that a couple other times too. And I think I've actually gained more respect for my caucus because of it. As as emotionally charged as it may be one moment, looking back, I think folks are going to be able to say, well, Bishop knows what he believes. He knows why he believes it. And then he stands there as well upon those principles. And and so I I have a clear conscience. And when I'm done with politics, at this point in time, if I finish with politics right now, I will be happy and proud of my tenure. And hopefully I can maintain that um, for the duration of, of my time in, in the public space. And I don't know what that looks like. We'll, we'll have to see. I mean, it, it's partly contingent upon me feeling called to run, and it's also contingent upon constituents saying, yeah, we yeah, want sure. you to go. If Hollywood calls, <laughs> then, man, you're going to have to leave. That's another story. My brother and I, we shot a short film about a month ago. Big project, about 20... 28, uh, 28 crew members. Is this something that's going to come out to the public at some point? 28 crew members for four and a half days of shooting. Actually, we th throw up the pickup days. It's about six and a half days of shooting. Um, yeah, yeah, eventually. Uh, it can't premiere, though. It has to premiere at a 
at some of the festivals. That's their rules. And right now it's being edited by an editor in L.A. Complete passion project. It's just something Eli and I have always wanted to do. Uh, we love film. We love movies. Our family loves movies. Uh, it's a big bonding thing for us. And so we wrote a script back in February, February 22nd. No, February 20th, I think. We wrote the script almost in one day. It took about four days to write it, but we had the bulk of it in that first day. And then we set about work on how to actually make a movie. It was a tremendous learning experience, similar in a lot of ways to the campaign, to be honest, because we came in with no... no what is, what is the movie about? Two brothers reconcile with one another as they spread the ashes of a loved one across the Ozarks. Wow, that's so. deep. Yeah, it's heavy. It's very heavy. So... uh. Hopefully it'd make you cry. Is that okay? If it doesn't, what is that? I mean, what does I, that mean? Well, I mean, I are, are you, you a, be disappointed in do, me? Do if you I, do you cry at movies? If it doesn't, is there a dog in it? <laughs> is there a dog in it? If there's a dog in it, I'll probably no, cry. no. There is no dog in it. But uh, okay. but I yeah, it's a, it's actually a, it's a story that we're very proud of. Yeah, I'm looking forward very, to seeing very proud it. Yeah, of the script. it sounds like it might be a while before. Yeah. you could you know openly. Yeah. show everybody or make it available yeah but, man, i'm looking forward to this yeah be cool. i think it, i think it will be a little while before we're able to pull that off uh you know we'll we'll do our first submissions in april and then uh then ideally that starts premiering at festivals in july you know that following year and so I, i'd say it'd be fully public um by sometime towards the end of 2022 what uh what is is top of mind just like maybe one or two things what's top of mind for the next uh session for you um more education policy um i would say is something personally i'll be taking on but i will say there are bigger issues than that uh, you got to remember the legislature is a team sport i'm not going to sponsor every issue some of these issues are better sponsored by other representatives and if they've already taken on and taken interest, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna jump. Sure. I, I don't wanna be the guy shouldering my way to the front and trying to have my name on everything. I am perfectly happy being a supporter, being a, a, a follower of a strong legislative leadership. And I think that's important actually. That's a it's important for my ego anyways. Um so what I'll be personally doing is education policy, some professional licensing, some deregulation. Um, uh, that education policy breaks up into school board accountability issues. It breaks up into teacher certification to uh, school assessment, lots of different things like that. But I'm also um, really, really looking forward to discussions on vaccine mandates. I uh, wish that could have been addressed sooner but hopefully we'll address it early on. We do have to address redistricting first and foremost, unfortunately. And then um, the two most important issues, though, and I'll be honest about it, is court reform and then initiative petition reform. And if I had to choose one of those, it would be initiative petition reform. Okay. And so we'll be working on that, I know, and I think that's of the utmost importance. Okay, cool. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that uh, in this next legislative session uh all right so i have one more really hard-hitting question for you bishop Uh uh-oh all right what i I have a feeling this isn't a (laughs) hard-hitting question but go ahead do i give it away (laughs) do i give it away uh what is your favorite restaurant in republic oh that actually is hard-hitting you're never supposed to ask a politician that yeah. I, you know, I, I this is hardball I'm playing here. It, 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 that is a that is a hard question. I and like just because you have a favorite, it does not mean anything against any of the others. Well, I I don't. But do you have a go to? I don't even know. I'm trying to think through what my go tos are. Go to definitely. Uh, my brother, he was a general manager at Big Whiskeys at time. I I've worked at Big Whiskeys, so there's definitely a go to environment there. Because I've got a lot of friends who work sure, there, yeah, and I'm okay. acquainted with, and so on. We would go there for camp after campaign stuff, and you know they put a big sign out in their yard for you know that that sort of thing. Um, Retmo Burger's super close to my house, and and so that's a I I think Jimmy's great, and I like what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, he over there. Uh, is gonna he'll be on the show at some point. He we had a scheduling conflict, but he he's gonna be on the show yeah, at some point. Yeah, no, and I I love I love the hometown pride that that brings. Um, sushi is one of my all-time favorite cuisines, so I'm stoked. You know, I've I've had that sushi. 
Yeah, the um, Asahi. I yeah, think. Asahi. Yeah, I can't. I don't. I don't know how to pronounce I, it. It's not, where Domino's used to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's it's quick. It's like uh, you don't have. It's to, almost like fast food sushi. But it doesn't taste. Yeah, but it's good. it doesn't it's, taste like fast yeah. food. But you don't have to, you know, sit through the whole thing of you know the. the no, you, it's not a big di- dine-in experience. Right. Yes. And can, if you want to make right. it nicer, you can take it and go plate it at home or whatever. But sure, yeah. yeah. I really like sushi. So yeah, I, I agree. I That's like a, that. I like that place too. Uh, Aries Pizza is great. That's also these are all really close to my house, as you noticed. Right, uh, right. Uh, like they're all like in close proximity, <laughs> proximity where I to live. Each other, yeah. Um, you know, Ease In is right down down the the way from me. Um, you know, Rocco's. I I don't know. It, it actually is hard. I I am not. Um, I don't know if I consider myself a foodie, because I I will eat food that is definitely sure. not good for you and very bad but i also sure. love fancy food if you're going to serve it to me i'm accepting big whiskeys is your answer oh is that right that's, okay. that's that is what i'm going to take that was that it seems like that due to your connections there has the closest doesn't mean they have the best food just means that that yeah, is the closest yeah, to your heart yeah no no that that's that's probably right i'm trying to think through uh, there's obviously a lot of restaurants that I'm leaving off the table here, but and that's okay. If at any point you have some kind of a legislative update, mm-hmm. uh, a call to action, something that's you know really on your mind, especially you know if it's very republic centric, um, then let me know. You can, I mean, you can just tell me when you want to be on the show, yeah. and we can make it happen. If you've got something that you want to say directly to the city, yeah, then nope. Uh, nope. just I, come on. I appreciate it. Appreciate what you've done. Uh, I think this has been. A really awesome experience for the community. I think it contributes a lot. So yeah. thank you. Oh well, I appreciate that. I'm just just trying to connect the dots of Republic and give people a chance to uh, get to know people a little bit better. So that way, when they walk into um, whether it's a business or see somebody around town at Walmart, they go, "Hey, I know you. You're the person that does that one thing, or you're the person that you know h- handles that one cause, or runs that nonprofit, or you know whatever." And by the way, how's your kid that's sick, and you know, or whatever, like. Just so that people can um, know the influential people, the the movers and shakers of our community, just a little bit better than they did before and just kind of connect some of those dots. I mean this in the best way possible. You're sounding a little like a representative yourself. So, uh, <laughs> well, a, you yeah. could take that negatively. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> so that's I, not I, my end goal. <laughs> I, I just uh, like doing my uh, humble little show here. But Awesome. Awesome. All right, this has been another episode of Repmo Radio where we talk to people of interest and influence who live and work in this city that we love, Republic, Missouri. Thank you for joining us on this episode, and we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>